So this is lesson 21 of the study of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It finds us in chapter 8. And the writer is going to speak of a first covenant and a better covenant, or a new covenant. Many read this and think that the better covenant or the new covenant and the New Testament, as in the scriptures, are one and the same. And what I mean is they think that the scriptures from Matthew to Revelation are the new covenant and that they've replaced the Torah and the prophets of the first covenant. For them, that means that the old Torah has been replaced by the new messianic writing. Well, nothing could be further from the truth because the Bible is one complete work from Genesis to Revelation. So when it says we have a new covenant, that says nothing about the scriptures. What it means is we have a new covenant or we could say a new agreement with God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 and it says, But the ministry Yeshua has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought after for another. But God found fault With the people. Notice two things here. It says, if nothing had been wrong with the first covenant, or we could say the first agreement, then it says that God found fault with the people. He didn't find fault with the Torah, He didn't find fault with the laws of the Torah, He found fault with the people. Let's read it as it goes on in verse 8. It says, A time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbors or man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new... He has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now the thing again you need to realize here is that the author is making a case for the new covenant that Yeshua made possible through the forgiveness of sin being superior to the covenant made through Moses in the wilderness. And it is so superior that eventually that the covenant made with Moses in the wilderness is going to completely pass away. Not the law, mind you. Because as the text said, with the new, the law will be on the hearts of the people. But the old agreement is passing away. And so look at who he's making a new agreement with. As well, he's making a new agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What does that mean? That means if you're from the nations, this isn't a new agreement with God for you. 
It's the first agreement with God for you. <laughs> right? It will be the same as with the house of Israel and Judah, but it's going to be your first agreement because you didn't have an agreement in the past. You know, many make the mistake of confusing the Torah with the first covenant and the messianic writings with the better covenant. The Torah is not the covenant. It's only part of the covenant. It is first the terms of the covenant. The Torah contains the stipulations of the agreement. But not just that, it, it's also the history of making the covenant. But it's not the whole agreement. And it's definitely not the part of the agreement that God found fault with. The agreement failed, but not because of the laws. You can't find a verse in the scriptures where God says, my laws failed. It's always the people that failed. The Torah is not the covenant or the agreement. And here's why. Look at, with any agreement, when any agreement happens, the, the two parties have to come to mutually agreeable terms. The Torah is part of the agreement. It's part of what the parties agreed upon. It records the agreement and it even records the failures of the agreement of this particular covenant. But that's not the whole agreement. And it's not what God found fault with. You see, before the covenant can be made, there are things to be decided. Who's going to be the mediator of this agreement? Who's going to mediate it? Who will enforce the agreement? And then the important part, it has to be ratified. There has to be a ratification. The two parties accepting all the terms of the agreement. Well, when all of these things are agreeable to both parties, both parties say, yes, I want to enter into an agreement with you. And then it's ratified. But then and only then do you have a covenant. There's only an agreement when both parties say yes, and then the agreement is ratified. Or we could say in modern terms, the agreement is witnessed and signed. Then you have a covenant, an agreement. The Torah records the mutual consent. What the parties actually consent to. The problem is, there's two different yeses, so to speak. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. And it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and indeed keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, before we go on, we need to be sure we understand one word in this verse, and it's the word for obey. In the Hebrew, it's shema, and it means to hear with understanding and obey. In other words, it's much stronger than our word hear, and it means to hear and obey. And that's why you'll see some trans places it's translated obey, and some places it's translated hear. But what I want you to understand is that it literally and more accurately means here in this verse. And when we look at the context in the next few chapters, it will be clear that it should have been here. Hear my voice and keep my covenant. You see, this is the same word that we used this morning when we said the Shema. Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
So here's the scene. The people of Israel are at Mount Sinai. They're about to receive the commands of God, the ten big ones. But before they do, God calls Moses up to the mountain and he speaks to him and he tells him these words to the people. Right? Let's read on and we get a glimpse. God says, if you will hear my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. All the earth is mine, but you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is what the people said. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people responded together, we will do everything. The Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And so now we have the terms of this agreement. And the agreement is, this is what the parties agree to. It's not ratified yet. Not until the blood of the covenant is sprinkled. But this is the agreement that we have. If you hear my voice and keep my covenant. That's Israel's part of the agreement. Right? And if they do this, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's God's part of the agreement. I'm going to make you special, a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people say yes, and so we've got this agreement. This is the agreement. This is the covenant with God. God will speak. The people will listen and obey. And if there were any doubt about the meaning, all you have to do is read the rest of chapters 19 and 20. In chapter 19, the people get ready for the covenant to be ratified. They sanctify themselves for three days. And at the end of 19, God comes down on the mountain. And in chapter 20, he begins to literally speak to the people. And they begin to literally hear his voice. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. And you know all the rest. We said them this morning. They're the ten big ones, right? They had agreed to hear his voice and obey, and he spoke to them, and they heard. Let's pick up in chapter 20 as he finishes the commands that he comes down and he actually speaks to the people. Remember, the covenant hasn't been ratified. They have agreed, but they haven't been sprinkled with the blood of the covenant. It's like a contract. It's like a mortgage that you haven't signed yet. This agreement doesn't last very long. They have an agreement, but it doesn't last because the people have a change of heart. And that's what we're going to read as we pick up in chapter 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. You see what's happened here is they're asking for a change in this agreement. And it's not to the Ten Commandments. They don't want, they didn't say anything about changing that. Neither they nor God found fault there. But what they said is, we don't want to hear your voice anymore. We don't want to hear God any longer. Well, guess what? That's a change in the terms of the agreement, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a change in the terms. Part of their agreement was to hear the voice of God. And so Israel is asking for the agreement to be modified. They're saying, we don't want to hear God's voice, but Moses, you speak to us. They're asking for a mediator, but that was not part of the covenant. That wasn't part of the agreement. The agreement was, I'll speak, you hear. Now listen to what happens. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and you'll keep from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. I've kept my part of the agreement, right? Do not make any gods to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver, gods of gold. And what I want you to see here is that we have, they have asked for a modification and said, no, Moses, we don't want to hear God. We'll, you just speak to us and we'll listen to you. So guess what? If you ask for a change in the agreement, a modification in the agreement, you should get a response from God. He's the other party. He either has to say yes to it or no, right? An agreement can't be changed except by mutual agreement and if, mutual consent. And if you don't believe me, try to change one of the terms of your mortgage and see how long you, it is before you land in court, right? But God doesn't give them an answer here. At least there's no answer recorded here. To their wanting to modify this agreement, this covenant. Moses will then go up to God into this thick darkness. God doesn't say a word about their request. And yet, what we see is that he honors their request. Because he doesn't speak to them again. From that time forward, he only speaks to Moses. He just gives them more laws. He does it through Moses. He doesn't speak to the people any longer, only to Moses. And it would seem that he has agreed to their request, but he doesn't, because he doesn't speak to them any longer. But actual, no response was given here. But we do get the response. We get it in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 18. In verse 15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, and you must listen to him. This speaks of Yeshua. He's the prophet like Moses. Remember what is said. You must listen to him. And there's our word Shema again. You must hear him with obedience. And let's read on. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. Let us not hear the voice any longer, but that's what they had agreed to. That was the agreement. And the thing I want you to see is the original agreement, the original covenant that God had in mind has been modified. The people asked for one of its stipulations to be removed. And it goes on to say, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And if anyone doesn't listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. And so the Lord, God says, what they say is good. 
And that doesn't mean, let me say, that doesn't mean good in the sense of wonderful. It means good in the sense of acceptable or right or pro- proper. And I like the way the Targum Onkelos translated it. It said, they have spoken to the point. So in essence, God says, they have made themselves clear. And they don't have to hear my voice. I'll talk to you, Moses. And so Moses became the mediator of the covenant, or we could say a go-between the people and God. You see, we didn't get that piece of information in the Exodus, but we get it here. When Moses went up the mountain to speak with the Lord, he said, all right. Or as the Targum says, they've spoken and their point's taken. I agree. And then he only speaks to Moses after that. And then we get this prophecy of the Messiah here. And the demand that they must listen to him. But until then, Moses, or one of Moses' replacements, will remain the mediator until the prophet comes. And then he's going to speak the very words of God. In other words, he'll be the voice of God. But God never again speaks to the people. Now, if we go back to Exodus, we find Moses gives some additional instructions after, the, after, after that. Chapter 24, verse 3, we're going to read. Moses went and told the people all the words, uh, words and the laws. And they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote down everything the Lord said. And so, Moses gives them a bunch more laws. And he goes back and he gives them all these laws. And what do they say? Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. Right? And then verse 6 says, And Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Agreement. Covenant. They've agreed to the terms. It's now been ratified. But it's not the original agreement. They agreed. It's been ratified. But now they have a mediator. The covenant changed from hearing God's voice directly to having a mediator speak for God. Right? And it says in verse 6, Moses took the terms and read them to the people. God doesn't speak to the people. He speaks to Moses. So Moses reads all the terms given thus far to the people. Not God again, but Moses now speaks for God. And this is the first covenant. Or maybe we should say it's the second because the first really never got ratified. But because it didn't get ratified, it really is the first too, right? So Moses is the mediator, and Moses is a very good mediator. Of all the mediators, Moses is the best. With the exception of the prophet who's coming. He is the first, and he is the best. And you know why he's good? Because he goes into the tent of meeting, and he actually speaks to God, and he gets good, sound answers for the people on how to walk out the laws of God. But God, but as good as Moses was, there's something that happens that's a forebearer of bad things ahead for Israel. Because of this change to the agreement, 
disaster befalls Israel. And the reason is stated for us in the book of Hebrews. Remember what it said? God found fault with the people. Again, not the terms, the people. And what happened? They turned away. They did not remain faithful. And you know the story. After they agree, Moses goes up the mountain, gets the tablets of the law, and while he's gone, they don't remain faithful, but they make a golden calf, and they worship the calf in violation of the very first law given through Moses after they turned down hearing the voice of God. What a teacher God is, right? He is the master teacher. Look at what he does. The very first law he gives them through Moses, the very first one they fail at. He said to Moses, this is the very first one, do not make any gods to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself gods of gold or gods of silver. Really simple, right? How simple does it get? (laughs) Well, I guess it couldn't have been too simple because they failed to obey. Disaster after 40 days. Something about the agreement wasn't sufficient to keep them from violating the agreement. Was it the laws? Well, do not make any gods of silver or gold. Doesn't seem too hard to me. Should God change that law because they couldn't keep it? No. It was because the people, it was because of the people he found fault with. Not the simple, simple instruction. But the people. You see, the master wants us to know that what is defective about the agreement is the people. It's the mediator. Let's go to a very interesting and telling passage. Moses has come down the mountain. The calf has been made. The tablets have been broken. And he's listening to Aaron's explanation in verse 22 of chapter 32 of Exodus. He says, Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Then he said, make us God. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. <laughs> they had rejected hearing the voice of God and the mediator was gone. And what happens? They fall away. It wasn't the terms of the covenant that were faulty. Do not make a graven image is not that difficult. But it was the mediator that they had asked for that was faulty. He's nowhere in sight to answer their questions. God is perfect. His original agreement would have been perfect. But an imperfect people changed the perfect agreement. They added their imperfection to the agreement. And as good a mediator as Moses was, and as faithful a mediator as Moses was, he wasn't good enough because he couldn't be around all the time. And while he was away, they lost faith and they make a calf to replace him. Now, if Moses wasn't good enough, and he was the absolute best mediator of the agreement, then as you can imagine, this whole deal is going downhill from here, right? It goes downhill because there's another problem. There's a problem with Moses being the mediator. He doesn't live forever, right? The mediator, the covenant, co- the mediation of the covenant must be passed on. And as we all know, it's passed first from Moses to Joshua. And you know, Joshua was pretty good too. He was maybe not as good as Moses, but he was pretty close. However, Joshua only lived so long. 
And now the rabbis in the Mishnah, they record as they're trying to establish authority for all these additional laws that they're, they're going to pass on and all this explanation of God's laws, they record a succession of mediators for us. And we find it in the very first chapter of the Mishnah, Perkei Avot, Sayings of the Fathers. And as we read this, keep in mind when, when, when they say Torah, they're not speaking of just the written Torah given to Moses of blessed memory, but they're also speaking of the oral Torah as well, the Mishnah. And what is the Mishnah? It's the mediations of the written. It's the explanation given by men of the written. It's how to keep it. And it records how the sages said the Torah should be lived out. In this very first passage, they're laying authority for what follows. And it says, Moses received the Torah from God at Mount Sinai and conveyed it to Joshua, Joshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, the prophets to the men of the great assembly. And they said three things, be delivered in judgment, develop many disciples, and make a protective fence around the Torah. And so the mediation is passed. The decision-making for how the covenant is going to be lived out is passed on from men from gen- to men, from generation to generation. And all this mediation is recorded for us in the Mishnah. There's another book like it called the Tosefta. And then we have the Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmuds. And these are all the mediations of the Torah and arguments between the sages about how you should keep the Torah. In Yeshua's day, it was just the Mishnah. The others hadn't been written yet, and and not even that had been written down. It was only just an oral tradition passed on from generation to generation, just just like you have turkey on Thanksgiving and so forth. It's not written down anywhere. It's just you know to do that because that's what you've always done, right? But it started out rather simple. But by the time we get to Yeshua's day, the covenant, because of all these successive mediators with all of their additional requirements, elicits this response from Yeshua in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 1. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads, put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. See, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are now the mediators of the covenant. That's what he's saying there. They sit in Moses' seat. And you see, what happened with man interpreting the covenant was this. This intended personal relationship with the Holy One of Israel. In other words, asking God and hearing from God for direction became a list of rules taught by men that the people were required to keep because that's what they asked for. You get what you ask for, right? You get what you deserve. You see, Moses' seed, or we could say his mediation was passed on, and all of these decisions are binding. Now, with the Oral Torah and the subsequent arguments about the Oral Torah, which are the Talmud, this slide records what we have. Next slide. The blue books, the light blue books there are about two-thirds of the Jerusalem Talmud. There are 21 volumes there. The red books are the the Sansino Babylonian Talmud. The eight dark blue volumes are the Mishnah with some commentary. And the other two are the Tosefta. So now, for those of you who want to think keeping 
uh, Torah by following rabbinic Judaism or Lubavitcher Judaism, you can borrow these from the library, take them home, put them on your nightstand, and enjoy some nice reading each night. Right? Because what Yeshua called a heavy load, you add 2,000 years of more decisions to that, and that's what you've got. All of this and more has been added since Moses went up the mountain to tell the people And the people said, we don't want to hear from the Lord anymore. Right? This is what they exchanged for hearing directly from God. I wonder if they knew if they would have asked for it. But that's not all. I want to show you something else. I want to show you what giving up, hearing from God directly cost them. Because the agreement was modified, Israel refused hearing from God directly. They lost something else in return. As with any change in an agreement, if I say, I want to change this, we're making an agreement together, we got it all figured, but then I come and say, no, before we sign it, before we ratify it, I say, I want to change this, you're going to more than likely say to me, well, okay, you can change that, but then I have to change this, right? Well, that's what happened at Sinai. Let's read the agreement once more. Now, therefore, if you will hear my voice and indeed keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. They're going to be something very special. If they keep the agreement, if they hear the voice of God, they're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. However, they said no. And the consequences we have here is that this is the only place in Scripture where they're called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And why do you suppose that is? Well, it's not too difficult. They said no. They asked for a change. And God said, okay, what they say is acceptable, is proper, they've spoken to the point. But because they don't hear my voice, neither shall they be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. And they won't be until the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In order for them to be a kingdom of priests in a holy Nation, they must hear from God. And that's not coming until the end of days. Until he sends the prophet like Moses who will speak the very words of God and release the people from mediations of men. Well, this is a long message. And as you can see, I'm not completed with it yet. But we are going to continue on with this for the next few weeks. Next week, we'll look at what is this better covenant? 